Well, super light and easy text today. Uh, no pressure on the forgiveness or non-forgiveness, but um, did you hear what she prayed? Uh, it's super helpful for us to understand what she prayed and how she prayed it, uh, because I think it's, it's the thing that we need to catch today in a world of strife, anger, bitterness, um, conflict, online rage, and ghosting one another because of differences. Uh, what is it that's going to be the thing that makes the church different? What's the driving ethic of this community, of all of you? If you look across the room, we've got all kinds of different people in here, right, from different perspectives, from different backgrounds, um, certainly in our church, different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds. Some people grew up Catholic, some people grew up Baptist, some people grew up Pentecostal or whatever it may be. Some people grew up pagans. Uh, what is it going to be, the th- what's going to be the thing that draws us together, that has a fabric of unity that's going to help us throughout our lives, not just to gather on a Sunday. This is easy, y'all. This is an easy mark of a Christian is to come together as, as difficult as it can be during a pandemic. This is the easy part. Now what happens when we leave this place and we see that person that wronged us, did us wrong, whatever it may be, said something online that we disagree with, whatever it may be. Now the true test of what a believer hits us. So what is it that's going to set us apart? And I've already obviously showed my hand. And of course, the, the liturgy and the scripture shows our hand. It's, that it's forgiveness, isn't it? It's that we are be, to be a people that are marked with forgiveness. Um, and of all the things that Jesus could have emphasized or given commentary on out of the sermon or out of the, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, I find it fascinating that just out of, out of the Lord's Prayer, he could have emphasized any of those uh, things that we prayed through last week, right? Um, our Father in heaven. He could have prayed, he could have emphasized something about our Father. Lord, hallowed be your name. He could have emphasized something there. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. That would have been great commentary for Jesus to make even uh, our daily bread that we need or even our daily need to be not brought into temptation. Those would have been easy things and really good things for Jesus to give comment on. But he doesn't give comment on any of that. Instead, verses 14 and 15 are commentary on the bare necessity of what it looks like to be a believer in any uh, uh in any century, much less the one that we're in now. And that is this commentary on our need for forgiveness and our need for forgiving others. This is at one of the like top one, two, or three priorities that Jesus is going to give his disciples, his apprentices, his students in the Sermon on the Mount. How is it that we can become a people that are forgiving? It's a necessity. And if we're uh, not careful, we'll be tempted to read this passage wrongly. But this is so important for Jesus that he risks being misunderstood for the sake of emphasis. So sometimes he says some things that we go, surely it can't mean that. And sometimes he says some things that we read and go, man, that it sure does sound like it means that. If we read this again, you'll, you'll start to understand where I'm, where I'm going here. Um, We cannot believe that this is a meritorious system, so let's read this real quick. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, their sins, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the first thing that we need to kind of get over, the first hurdle that we need to clear right now is, is this teaching a meritorious system 
of acceptance with God, that God will not forgive your sins if you do not forgive the sins of others. Well, the rest of the Bible would seem to indicate that that is not the case. So even though it may seem like it here, we have to interpret this passage in light of all passages. And instead, like I said, Jesus is risking being misunderstood for the sake of emphasis. So what he's doing right now is going, hey, don't miss this. Did I almost fall? Or was, that, was that just me? That, no? Okay, good. It feels like it was going this way, and then we would have been in terrible danger. Uh, nonetheless, we're here. We're not going to let that happen again. All right. Um, all right, so here we go, right? So the, 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 let me get back to what I was saying, right, is what he was doing is that he is risking being misunderstood for the sake of emphasis. So what he's saying is, like, for us, for Christians for all time, take note of how important this is that truly I want you to think about you forgiving others in the same light as if you did not have God's forgiveness in your life. It would be perilous. It would be dangerous. It would be difficult. It would lead to death. And he's saying, like, take it that seriously when you don't forgive other people. Okay, so now he has our attention. It's not just a suggestion along the way. Now he has our attention that there is danger, death, destruction in our way if we do not take this command as seriously as Jesus is emphasizing it here. So Jesus' point was this, that those who refuse to forgive others, those who refuse to forgive others show that they do not understand the debt from which they have been forgiven by our Father. I'll say it again. I know there are note takers in the house. Those who refuse to forgive others show that they do not understand the debt from which they have been forgiven by our Father. Jesus expands on this later on in, um, in Matthew. I'm not going to read it. I thought I was going to read it, but we've got kids in here, so we're going to go a little bit swifter today. I said, I'll just tell the story, right? When Jesus um, is teaching his disciples about forgiveness in Matthew uh, 18, he's also coming off of a, a teaching on church discipline. And then he goes, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, so how many times should we forgive our brother? All the way up to seven times? I love that part. Is it all the way up to seven and Jesus goes, no, man, not seven, 70 times seven. And of course, he's not really trying to number the amount because some of us right now are going, okay, so seven times seven, it's like 149. Okay, we go to 150 and you're out, dude. Okay, that's not the point of what Jesus is trying to bring to us today. Instead, again, hyperbolically, he's saying there is no end to the amount of times that you would forgive your brother, period. And then he goes into this parable. That the kingdom of heaven will be like this parable of this unmerciful servant where he is in a house and the master comes and wants to settle the accounts with his servants. And what does he do? He goes to one and he says, you owe me, this is, this is what one commentary says, you owe me six billion dollars. And the servant says to him, I could never repay six billion dollars. Okay, well, if you cannot repay the $6 billion, then why don't you, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to enslave your whole family and put you into jail. And so that's what they do. And he says, but I can never pay this. And the master has pity on that servant, compassion on that servant, and sets him free, forgives his debt, and sets him free. And so what does that, that servant do? The one that's been forgiven, this insurmountable debt, this $6 billion, he goes out and he sees some people in the marketplace that owe him some money. And let's just say it's less than $6 billion. Most people would say, or at least one commentator would say, it's about $12,000. Still an amount that you would probably want to collect at some point. 
but nothing in comparison to the six billion that you just got forgiven. And what does he do? He goes and he shakes down the people that owe him the $12,000 or so, and he shakes them down, and when they can't pay, what does he do? He puts them in prison, enslaves them just as he was going to be enslaved, and then all heck breaks out. His fellow servants see what's going on, and what do they do? They go and tell the master, and the master says, you should have been forgiving like I forgave you. Now you will be put into prison forever until you pay the last penny. This is a warning for us. This is the same statement that he says right here in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, right? Then he says, you must forgive your brothers from your heart. See, that's what Jesus has always been after. He could care less if you look at someone and say, oh, I forgive you, and then go right back around them and gossip against them, slander against them, drag their character through the mud. That's not forgiveness. From our hearts. That's what Jesus has always been about and what he's getting out in this situation. The ethic of forgiveness is the fabric which distinguishes our community, the church community. Uh, whether we're here at the Grove or for all time, the church If we cannot forgive one another, we show, we only show how much we do not understand our own sin and the size and the sacrifice which God made to forgive others. But if we forgive, if we recognize our debt, we we do these things as we forgive others. And if we withhold forgiveness, we're just like the unmerciful servant. We shake down our fellow servants for like a hundred bucks when you owed a million, Right? Like, that's, that's what we show. We show that we do not recognize the debt which we owe to God. And all of a sudden, it's pennies on the dollar that we're trying to shake out of people. And, of course, that is no way to live, which is why Jesus comes at us strongly here and gives commentary on that part of the Lord's Prayer. So if it's that serious, what is forgiveness? I had somebody text me that uh, not too long ago. What is forgiveness? It's a great question. I love that. I love that text that someone would have the vulnerability to just text me that and go, hey, I don't understand it. Could you help me understand it? And this was my response to them, and this is my response to you. Let me give you a definition. I'm going to give you a differentiation, and then I'm going to give you um, a, a demand from it, right? So what is forgiveness? Number one, uh, a definition. It is not counting their sins against them. It is not counting their sins against them. Now, I don't know about you, but like as we enter into forgiveness, you guys got people in your mind right now? Yeah, I do too. I'm with you. So look, so we want, we want recompense. We want payback. We want revenge uh, for those things and for that person who's hurt us and wounded us for whatever reason. But forgiveness is not holding their sins against them. It is not counting their sins against them because that's what God did for us. It is not an erasing of their deed. It is an erasing of their debt. That's a huge difference. We don't just go, oh, well, this, it must not have not mattered, or it really wasn't that evil. No, it, it probably was evil. It definitely mattered if you've got that person in your mind right now. But what we cannot do as Christians is say, you know what? I'm not going to forgive that debt that you owe me. It is a troublesome spot. Instead, we release our right to demand them pay us back. That's forgiveness. It's releasing our right of a demand for them to pay us back. So a definition, number one, a definition. A distinction, though, is that it is not reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one person. It's a one-way street. 
Reconciliation is a two-way street. I got plenty of relationships that have gone into my past that I can forgive that I wish that I was reconciled towards, but I'm not. Why? Because it's a two-way street. I can forgive them. I can make that choice. I can also be in process of forgiveness for that person, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that I'm going to have a continual good uh, relationship with them into the future. You see, reconciliation takes two people that don't just choose to forgive someone, but then, then they have to make the continual choice to build a relationship towards trust. And that takes a whole lot of effort, a whole lot of intentionality, a whole lot of forgiveness along the way again and again and again and again until you can come back together and be reconciled. It is trust over time that makes a reconciled relationship. And then, not just that it's a definition, but a differentiation, but also now this command. It is not optional, y'all. I love how Mark 1, excuse me, Mark 11 says this uh, when Jesus is talking about the Lord's Prayer, super quick and super easy because that's the nature of the book of Mark. And he says this, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. As often as you pray, we ought to be reminded that we must forgive our brothers and our sisters. So if you're hearing that right now and you say to yourself, you've got some objections in your mind. And you don't understand, and you say, well, you don't understand what what that person did to me. You see, you don't understand my background. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand the offense. You don't understand how how heinous it was. And and I would say, you're right. I personally probably don't understand that offense. But I do know that the one who authored the command knows what you're feeling. I do know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. I do know that Jesus knows exactly the offense. He saw it. He knows about it. He wasn't, he wasn't absent that day. He wasn't powerless that day. He didn't, he didn't turn a blind eye to whatever sin was committed against you, nor does he turn a blind eye to whatever sin you commit towards others. And yet he still calls us all that whenever, as often as you pray, remember that you, you must forgive. There's this intertwine and inner, inner uh, relationship between forgiveness and prayer. And you, you may have even said, well, I've tried to forgive them, I just can't. Like, I don't know about you, but whenever I was preparing this, this is when the Lord landed on me. I've tried to forgive, but I can't. You see, there has uh, been some time, I know this is going to uh, probably, you know, shock many of you, uh, but there have been times where I've offended people over my lifetime. Um, and there have also been times when people have offended me in my lifetime. And uh, one in particular, or two in particular, stick out of like, man, those are very wounding, difficult situations of betrayal, uh, of just darkness. Uh, that, that led me into a dark spot for, for, for months, if not more. And, and, and I can come out of those seasons and go, I know that I've made the decision to forgive them. But then this week, I was reminded that I still want something from at least one of those people. And see, that's when I knew that I had not truly forgiven them yet. I have made the choice in my mind cognitively to forgive that person, but the full uh, application of forgiveness has not yet made it to my heart because I know that I still want an apology. I still want, I'm still demanding from them something that, ooh, when I see them, ooh, I'm going to say these things. We ever have those thoughts? That's how we know we haven't truly Uh, been through the process of forgiveness, that yes, we can cognitively make the decisions to choose, but ultimately God also has to counsel and comfort us through that process as well. It is both a choice 
and a process for those that we want to forgive, but we can't simply get to the end of that process of forgiveness. I'll tell more about that here in a minute. So that's what forgiveness is, right? It is not counting their sins against them anymore. It is releasing our right for payback. And so we might get to this point where we go, okay, that's fine, I get that, but what is the fruit of all this? Like, why is Jesus really harping on all this? And I want to give you um, that truly forgiveness or unforgiveness has fruit. So because it's a choice, let's reason through this a little bit together. I'm going to give you three fruit or fruits of unforgiveness and three fruit or fruits of forgiveness, and then we'll get to the fuel for how we do this. Ready? Number one, uh, because it's a choice, let's reason through this. So um, the fruit of unforgiveness, number one is disobedience. Ugh. We want to be a people that are known for disobedience. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. Here's what I know. When Jesus puts demands in front of us or commands in front of us, he's not just going to put something impossible in front of us. He's also going to provide the power to be able to do it. And he does this by the power of the resurrection from the dead, which is inside of us, by his spirit. So when we say that the fruit of unforgiveness is disobedience, we must label it as that, and we also must label it as trouble as destruction, as death, as darkness, right? Um, If you don't know this, um, there's a spiritual darkness that comes with unforgiveness, but there's also a physical darkness and death that comes with unforgiveness. I looked this up this week. If you go to uh, the Johns Hopkins website, which I think we've probably all figured out where that is at this point in this uh, pandemic, Um, but like, here's some things that happen when we don't forgive physically, physiologically. That when we do forgive, pardon me, when we do forgive, it helps reduce the risk of heart attack, it improves cholesterol, it improves your sleep, it reduces pain. Fascinating. It also reduces anxiety, depression, and stress if we would be a forgiving people. Jesus knows how we're wired. He kind of made us this way, and now science has caught up to what how, how the, the gravity of this kind of command for all people for all time, particularly those that want to flourish in the kingdom of God, that we would be a people marked with forgiveness. Why? Because if we don't, we will rot from the inside out. Anxiety and depression and, and insomnia will start to just rot our souls. And what that looks like is bitterness. It's our second fruit of unforgiveness. Disobedience, bitterness. There's an old saying um, that it goes like this, and I can't figure out who it's attributed to, but it's an old saying that says like this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Have you, you heard this? Some people said it was from Carrie Fisher. Mm, I don't know about that. Star Wars, I don't know. Uh, some people say it was Augustine of Hippo. I'm more inclined to go with Augustine of Hippo from the fourth century and not Princess Leia. But hey, what do I know? It might be Princess Leia. Nonetheless, unforgiveness, bitterness, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The Bible tells us this in Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. This is like, has become a framed verse in my home, and I don't know how it got there, but nonetheless, this is a framed verse in my home. This is, a weird, this is not one you're going to find at Hobby Lobby. I was in Hobby Lobby over the weekend. This wasn't there. But nonetheless, it's in my home. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see it? You will not see God if there's bitterness. You will not see the value of, of, of shirking off disobedience and pursuing obedience because you won't, you won't see the value of Jesus and holiness. 
He says this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. This root of bitterness is not going to just play games. It will cause you trouble, friend. If you struggle with bitterness, and I think we all do, I think that's why this passage is so difficult for all of us, because we all know that we've got some bitterness in our heart for someone. That's why that, that's why that picture, that's why that name came up when we started this, this conversation about forgiveness. But by many, by it, by that root of bitterness, many become defiled. Why? Why do many become defiled when we become bitter, when that root of bitterness springs up and starts to cause issues because the third fruit of unforgiveness, which is relational strife. So we need to hear this, y'all. Bitterness causes you not only to resent the person who wronged you, but then this root of bitterness springs up. It doesn't just cause you to have resentment towards the person who harmed you, but now you project that wound onto new relationships. And you start to defend yourself based on something that person actually didn't do, didn't say, but because they kind of act a certain way, you take that wound and that bitterness and you just place it on them because it must be true of them if it was true of them. And it's all self-protective. It's all a way to make sure that we're not vulnerable with one another, that we're divided from one another. There are barriers and masks that we put on so that we don't have to actually forgive one another or ask for repentance because when we do that, you can be sure repentance is near or the opportunity for it. For us to be able to look at our brother or our sister and go, hey, you know what? I projected a whole lot of stuff on you and that's on me. And I need to ask your forgiveness. Relational strife comes when we are suspicious of future relationships because we protect ourselves by projecting our wounds onto others and therefore we pave the ways for all sorts of relational sin of gossip and slander and strife and conflict and malice. Have you read the New Testament? How, much, how many times those words are in the Bible that Christians are not to be associated with? Put them away. Do away with them. Put off your old self. Get them out. And yet how many times do we just flirt with those things? Uh, not really gossip. I mean, you know, it's a prayer request, really. <laughs> do away with these things. Why? Because unforgiveness with one creates strife with many. Unforgiveness with one creates strife with many. And if you have had any difficulty in forgiving others, you know this is true. You can see the trail of destruction that this has played in your relationships. And I just want to say, like, God is available and ready to forgive you, has forgiven you, if you would just come to him, repent. Maybe go to that person and ask their forgiveness. We're not doing communion today, but that would be a great motivator for us. Maybe before we get to next week, we get to that conversation, we have that text or that phone call or that socially distanced coffee or whatever. And at some point, maybe you take off the social distance, keep on the mask, give each other a hug and say, I love you. I'm sorry. That's the kind of obedience that God's calling us to when we forgive one another. So that's the, that's the fruit of unforgiveness, now the fruit of forgiveness. First, obedience. What a beautiful thing that we cannot undersell to Christians. Do you know it's still a beautiful and right thing to be a people that want to obey God? You know, it's, it's, it's still a really good thing that God honors, that when we see his life as worthy of, 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 of oh, what's the word? Not intimidation, but anybody help me out? 
What is it? Imitation. Come on, man. Thank you. Somebody said to me last night, hey, you don't stutter over your words anymore. Well, there you go. Um, anyways, imitation, right? Imitation, that we would be a people that imitate the life of Jesus. Got to love that. All right. Obedience, right? There is a beautiful value to being a people that see Jesus' life worthy of imitation. Gratitude and joy. When we learn to release our grip on someone else's throat, this is the second fruit, we realize that we have a misplaced hope which made our hearts sick. When I want to pay somebody back, um, I'm ultimately following, falling into the trap that I am the avenger. I am the revenger of my wrong. That I don't trust God to pay back on my behalf, if he would so do that. Or that he would show mercy and compassion like he's prone to do. I instead deny that he's that kind of God, and I take it into my own hands. When I want uh, fairness, when I start to score keep, there is no gratitude in a scorekeeper's heart. It can't be. Because you're constantly thinking about how the other person has done you wrong. You see, and then the third fruit of forgiveness, not just obedience, not just gratitude, but also healthy relationships. You and I cannot live out the New Testament without a healthy dose of forgiveness. So here's what I know. Like if you're a partner of our church, you're on the group me with, with, with par- other partners, and you've seen uh, it's like some beautiful fruit of us being able to offer a gathering in person since August. And that is people are joining our church, not just attending. They're going, you know what? I want to be a part of that place. I want to contribute to that place. I want to sacrifice for those people. I want to be a part of that people. To which I say, and like when we did a partnership class in September or October, I forget when it was, and we did it over at Waypoint Church, the pastor of that church goes, you're doing a membership class in the middle of a pandemic? What's wrong with you, man? I'm like, dude, the Lord is showing up. They're like bringing some people here, and it's really beautiful, and, and we want to give them opportunity to get invested as they so want to, and it's been great. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to let you down, new guys and new ladies, new families. We're going to wound you. We're going to offend you. We're not going to do something just right. Your, your neighborhood group is going to do something that messes with you. They're going to have some political leaning, heaven forbid, that's different than you. And, and Uh-oh, here we go. Sidebar. Here we go. All right, so look. Just because someone voted differently than you doesn't mean they need to ask your forgiveness. It's a difference. It's not a sin. It's not evil. You're, you're, the color that you, 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 you get behind isn't, isn't righteous. Unless it's the white flag of surrender to King Jesus. So we, we have to understand, y'all, that this cannot divide us as a country, much less the church. And I'm more concerned about the church than I am about the country, to be candid. We cannot get, get caught up into lesser things because guess what? It's a difference. You have a different perspective than me. You, I guarantee you, you have a different perspective than me. And that's, that's beautiful. Something to be celebrated and good and right. And be able to learn from God. I don't know. I don't really see that. But let me learn and listen from you. And it's okay. It's not a sin. It's not evil. It's just something different. All right. Let me get back into the pocket here. But truly, we will let you down. There's going to be something in our neighborhood groups, in our growth groups. And here's going to be the temptation. You will either fight, flight, or there's a second one, or a third one, if I could count to three. Forgive. How many times do we ghost one another because something happened and we just assume, well, they must have meant all these things if they said that. Maybe you heard it wrong. Could that, could that be a part of our own ethic that just we, we just second guess our own self and go, hey, you know what? 
I may have heard this wrong, or maybe they said exactly that. Let me, let me go question them. Let me ask them what they meant by that. Because it may be something very simple, that just a misunderstanding, that instead of starting over and ghosting an entire community, like get back in the game, and maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for assuming the wrong things about that person. Or maybe you give that opportunity to someone else that they can ask for forgiveness from you. Um, how will we do this? Let me skip ahead here a little bit. How will we do this? Um, there's got to be a fuel for forgiveness. So I'm giving you three points in all of this, right? Let me just go back to them. Number one, what is forgiveness? Number two, there is a fruit here to forgiveness and unforgiveness. And number three, what is our fuel for forgiveness? Um, this week, uh, not this week, about a month ago, my fireplace broke. And we moved into this new home. We had one of these fancy gas fireplaces where you hit the switch. Um, and, and the gas just goes like that, and it creates a fire in your fireplace. Anybody else have one of these? Because I like it, but I don't like it. I, I kind of miss the, the wood-burning fireplace in my home and that smell. But nonetheless, I like being able to go over to that switch and just, and it's beautiful, right? And it's that fire comes up like, yes, I am an American. Thank you very much. I like these types of things. Um, but look, here it is, right? So, so ours, ours broke, Okay, and I had to call the service tech in, and he came in, and I was like, what's going on? I cannot get this pilot light lit long enough for me to be able to start a fire in here. And he's like, well, you got a bad pilot light. Well, that would make sense. Can you please replace it? Yes, I can. Perfect. And I said, look, we usually cut the pilot light from like, this, I don't know, January to December, basically, because you don't need it. And he goes, don't do that. Don't do that. It's actually prob probably part of the problem. He goes, and he put a flashlight on the back of the fireplace, he goes, you see all that rust? And all of a sudden, that's all I can see now in my fireplace. It's all this rust in the back of my fireplace. And I'd never seen it before. He goes, you see all this rust? All this is there because the pilot went out. The pilot light wasn't lit. It didn't dry out this little compartment where the fireplace is. And there's moisture now that is seeped in. If this rusts out, it's going to corrode. And if you put your finger through it, you're going to have to replace the entire fireplace. And what that's going to mean is that you're going to take down all this tile, all this like facing off of the fireplace, and it's going to be thousands of dollars. And that's all I needed to hear. I will pay the extra 50 cents in my gas bill a month to save me thousands for later. Just light that pilot, baby. Get it going. The gospel is a little bit like that pilot light. It always stands ready to stoke the fires of forgiveness. If we're going to look for fuel for forgiveness, that fuel is the gospel. If we put the fire of the gospel out in our hearts, if that pilot light isn't constantly on, even dimly in the background, to a place where you really can't even see it, you don't even notice it unless you really look, that's even enough for us to stoke the fires of forgiveness for one another. It stands ready to fuel our hearts to forgive others, to push out the moisture of bitterness that will eventually corrode the back recesses of our hearts, therefore costing us far greater in the long run. See, the gospel must be on, on a constant level in our hearts, but we forget. We forget again and again, and so let me remind you, let us not undersell the value of the discipline of remembering, of just remembering the kinds of things that God says over and over and over again in the Scriptures. So let's just stoke these fires of the gospel in our heart that Ephesians 4 tells us this. 
Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, a tender heart comes as we remember as Christ forgave you. A, a, a hardened heart comes when we forget that Christ has forgiven us. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Look what we're supposed to put on. You see this now? We're not supposed to have all these other things. We're putting this on. What are we putting on? Compassionate hearts. We go back to the story of the unmerciful servant. What was it that made the master forgive the six billion? Not because the servant earned it or deserved it, but that he had compassion for that servant. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. We can't forgive without humility. Meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. See, that's the pilot light that's kind of constantly on in our hearts, fueling this fire that needs to start burning so that we can forgive one another, burning away the things that don't belong anymore in our own hearts and in our relationships. So I'm going to end by giving you two practical things that I've done in my life to help promote the fire of forgiveness, this fuel that needs to go on in my life. Number one, one thing that has helped me is understanding the gospel uh, and this particular part. Just like me, before Jesus came and got me, I could not choose him. I know that there is a, a popular strain of Christianity that says we can, but we cannot. The Bible says it. You, uh, you didn't choose me. I chose you uh, to bear fruit, fruit that would last. Now, that's important for me when I think about forgiveness because it's not that I would not believe in Jesus. I wanted to. It's that I could not believe in Jesus until he so flooded me with his love, so flooded me with his grace that I responded to that grace. Now, that helps me understand that those that have done wrong against me, that will do wrong against me, it's not that they, they are doing this on purpose. It's that they can't do it any other way. It's that they are unable to do what I'm expecting them to do. It's not that they won't. It's that they can't. That's my number one like, thing in forgiveness. It's not that, that, that you won't or that I won't. It's that we truly can't. There's just an inability there. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the maturity. I don't have the tool, belt, the, the tool in my tool belt. I don't know what it is that's missing. We can ask the Lord for that along the way. But I've got to remember there are people, and I'm one of them, that just can't do what's maybe expected of me or what I've expected of them. I've got to reclassify the other person, not into that they uh, will not, but that they cannot. That's number one. And then number two, as we end, uh, one other practical step that has helped me along the way, not just to reclassify people into the will nots, to the cannots, but also to journal. So I'm getting real like, I'm going to just like bring you behind the curtain. Um, so that you don't know this about me, me and my wife go see a counselor about once a month. We've done that for six years since we started this church. It's been one of the things that was assessed of us when we got assessed by Acts 29. They're like, you need to go see a coach or a counselor, and we'll help pay for it. And they did for a little bit. And so we've done that for, since we started this thing. It's probably what's kept us both sane in many ways. Um, but as we have done that, one of the exercises he has uh, put me through, which I'm grateful for, is he says, dude, you need to go journal about this. And I'm like, man, come on, bro. I ain't journaling about this. He's like, no, no, this is what you need to do. Go with the Lord and tell him how you feel 
about this situation. Tell them how you feel. Don't hold back. He already knows the darkest recesses of your heart. Don't hold back in your journal. Tell him exactly how you feel. Use the language that you need to use with him that's respectful of him, but also represents your emotions in that moment. And don't just stop there, though. When you get done with that exercise, stop. And then ask the Lord how he feels about it. Do you feel the same way I do, Lord? If you don't, I need to repent. If you do... Help fuel in me the ability to forgive like you have forgiven me. Like you have forgiven me. And this is how I know uh, that we're in like, like the moment with the Lord is that when he realizes for me and he helps me realize, it's that it's that I'm that first person. I'm that first person with him. It's not that I will not forgive, it's that I cannot. And he forgives me like a father forgives his son. When your kids do terrible things to you, and they do, if they haven't yet, they will. And like, so like, I won't give you examples from my own home because my children are in here and they're staring at me going, are you going to talk about me right now? No, I'm not. But when they do some things to you and you go, man, that was like hard to forgive and that was hurtful. Why is it so easy for you to forgive them? Because you know they don't know any better. And that's how God forgives us and his son Jesus. How much more then shall we forgive others in the same way? They don't know any better. It's just, they're in the cannot category, not that they will not. And as he joins you in that journaling exercise, do my emotions match up with yours? If not, let me repent. If it is, help me to forgive like you have forgiven me in a way that realizes it's not that they're doing this on purpose. It's that they do not have the skills to do X, Y, or Z. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. You say in 18.35, forgive your brother from your heart. Lord, we want transformed hearts. We want transformed hearts that count not our brother's sins against them. Count not our sister's sins against them. We need the fuel of the gospel to be able to forgive other people's debts because you have not counted our debts against us. Lord, let us take this seriously. As we sing now, as we respond in song, would you help us not think about uh, lesser things, like lunch plans or grocery lists, or if our kids are being too loud. That, that actually doesn't even matter. Lord, as we respond to this in this song, and we sing, and we stand, and we do all these things, yes, we're going to be engaged, but Lord, engage us to help us see where we need to forgive. Be instruments of reconciliation, be instruments of forgiveness of the kingdom coming like this, that a master would go and settle accounts and forgive the unforgivable of people. And that we would be people that don't go and start settling lesser accounts, but that we also forgive the unforgivable in others. We release our our hands from their neck and so be free And when we do that, we don't only release that other person, we also release ourselves from the burden of making someone pay. So our Father in heaven, who sent your spirit, counsel, comfort, and convict where necessary. We need you and we long for you. And we respond to you now by the power of your son, Jesus. Amen.